This is the Sales Gravy Podcast. I'm Jeb Blunt, best-selling author of Fanatical Prospecting Sales EQ, Objections, and Inc., and I'm here to help you open more doors, close bigger deals, and rock your commission check. On this episode of the Sales Gravy Podcast, I get to spend some time with Bernie Weiss, who is the president of iHeartMedia New York. And Bernie is amazing. It's one of my favorite interviews all year because Bernie is a leader that gets it. And trust me, as you listen to this, you're going to recognize that as a sales representative, this is the type of leader that you would want to work for. But before we get started, I'm excited to introduce you to Blueboard. Blueboard is the world's leading incentive platform that helps companies make President's Club meaningful again. With Blueboard, top reps get to choose the President's Club experience that's most exciting to them, from chasing the Northern Lights to yoga retreats in Mexico to taking the family to surf camp in San Diego. There's an awesome experience and adventure awaiting every rep. So if you're a sales leader, company executive, or business owner, and you're looking for a new way to recognize and retain high-performing sales reps in this new hybrid world, you need to go check out Blueboard today. And if you're a top sales pro and you're ready for a better Presence Club experience, go tell your boss about Blueboard. You can learn more about Blueboard's one-of-a-kind and once-in-a-lifetime Presence Club experiences at podcast.blueboard.com. That's podcast.blueboard.com. Now, here's my conversation with Bernie Weiss, the author of the brand new book called Ace It. On the Sales Gravy Podcast today, we got Bernie Weiss, the author of the brand new book, Ace It. Now, Bernie is a lifelong sales professional. If you just take a look at his resume, and I've got a copy of his resume right here, or go check him out on LinkedIn, you can tell that this guy's got chops. Like he knows how to sell and he's a rainmaker. And you can tell he's a rainmaker because he's advanced through the organization today. Bernie, I believe you're the president of iHeartRadio New York, which is amazing that I get to talk to the president of iHeartRadio New York. Uh, how amazing is that? And uh, and before we get started, just give us a little bit of background on yourself and uh, and just kind of some, maybe some a little bit of overview of this brand new book that you've just written. Great. First of all, thanks for having me, Jeb. Um, my journey is a, is an interesting one. I'm originally from Austria. You might have uh, picked up on my my accent. And uh, and trust me, once I moved here 20 years ago, it was much, much thicker, which uh, made for interesting cold calls back then. Um, but I, um, I grew up close to Vienna, uh, and uh, sales was the last thing on my mind. I never thought about getting into sales uh, profession. I actually became a professional tennis player after high school. wasn't good enough, but the the title of the book is it kind of based on um, being from a, from a tennis background, uh, and then ended up at a, a European media company. And one of probably the most uh, important conversations that I've had in my entire career with the CEO uh, of that media company when he took me aside and said, "Hey, if you want to make it in the media industry, you've got to know how to sell advertising." And, and that really changed my mindset completely. And um, I ended up running the largest um, commercial radio group in Austria at a very young age, probably too young. And um, we worked with a bunch of American sales consultants. And um, and they told me, listen, you've got 30 more years to work. Why don't you move to the US and see what you can do there in the radio industry? And I was not an easy decision to leave everyone behind, uh, but I ended up doing that. And uh, of course, came with big plans and thought, oh, I'm just going to get a general manager position somewhere. And that, of course, didn't happen. And then I was like, I'll take a 
general sales manager position. No way not somebody would give me that job. Um, so I ended up as a junior salesperson at a uh, hip hop and R&B station in New York. And instead of doing board meetings uh, back home in Austria, I was literally doing cold walk-ins in the Bronx and in, and in Harlem uh, to all the dealers and, and medical centers. Um, but you know what? While it, it was hard on the ego at first, it was also the best time I've ever had. And then um, from there, I worked my way up, as you said, um, within, um, which was originally Clear Channel and is now iHeartMedia, uh, really through all the different sales management levels. And, um, and then two years ago, got promoted to, uh, to president. So right now I'm overseeing the uh, radio brands that we have and audio brands and digital brands um, in, in the New York market. Um, we reach about 9 million people uh, in a typical week. So it's a pretty um, big operation. Our sales organization is about 100 people strong. Um, and, um, and the reason for the book, since you were asking, was when I got promoted two years ago, I thought, um, you know, I have this experience now of 15, 20 years uh, selling in what arguably is probably one of the most competitive um, industries, the media industry in New York. And I've learned a lot of things along the way. And I've, I've, I've worked with really, really good salespeople on, on our teams. I want to share what I learned. And that was really the purpose um, as I was morphing into that more of a general management role, which is also overseeing programming and, and, um, and engineering and IT and all the other things. Although sales is still 60% easily of, of my time. But um, that was kind of the, the background. Okay, there's so much there to unpack. Let's start with... You're an executive and sales is 60% of your time. We're going to hold on to that one. We're going to bring that one back. The I love that you got promoted fast. And so you ended up being in a situation where, you, like you said, I'm, I'm, I was probably too young to be doing this job because I've got a similar experience. And I think that's, that's one of the things that happens to rainmakers is that if you can make it rain, people give you more responsibility. And sometimes you end up a little bit over your head. But, but part of that's good because it makes you grow. But more fascinating for me, we're going to come back to both of those things is the fact that you left Austria, came to the U.S., and, and took a, basically you, you downgraded yourself into an on-the-street, pounded-it-out salesperson. Like That takes a lot of heart and a lot of courage. And, and you did it in what is not arguably, the truth is, it is the most difficult market to sell in anywhere in the world. Maybe Hong Kong is a little harder. I'm not quite sure, but I, New York is... Like there's nothing like it. I, I've like I always tell people I've I've done cold calls in New York. It's like going to the Super Bowl of cold calling to do it in New York City. You did that, and you sold advertising, which I would argue is the hardest product or service to sell. Period. And I came out of a really really tough marketplace that I grew up in. But advertising is tough. So let's start there. Let's start. Let's start talking about. Um, about advertising sales in particular and why it's hard. And then what did you learn on the streets of New York City about selling, about cold calling, about approaching people in a world where like, it is hard? Like people don't understand how, how hard it is. And I'll give you an example. I've got a client of mine up on Madison Avenue and they sell advertising and they sell it all to restaurants in New York City, which is a past year was a little tough for them. And so they, they, they like basically go door to door. And we got in the street with them and we're, we're teaching them how to, on their feet, get in a cold call, engage the person and get the person to buy on the spot. Like we teach them how to do that. And you go out there and a lot of these, these, these folks get like, they get turned off. They, they go in once and the person says, get the hell out of here. We went in one place and we walked in and the person said, yeah, I'll, I'll take you to the boss. Walked us all through the building. 
and opened the door and we walked out the back door and we're in the back alley behind the behind the place. I mean, that was the cold call. And you think about how embarrassing that is. But what what we you know what we taught them was like you got to walk in this place ten times before they're going to respect you. Like you got to earn that respect, and that takes a lot of a lot of courage to do. So let's talk about that experience. And and I just want you to start off with you know being a rookie, the things that you learned cold calling and selling advertising on the streets of New York City in Brooklyn. Holy moly. That's in the Bronx, by the way. In the Bronx. Imagine the call to my mother back home in Austria when I told her, hey, I'm doing walk-ins in the Bronx. And she's like, are you you kidding me? Are you safe? Um, No, no, no. Listen, I, I, I learned a lot along the way. I mean, you mentioned advertising sales. I would actually argue radio advertising sales or audio advertising sales is probably one of the toughest forms to sell. We have nothing to show. It's all conceptual. Um, so it's really all about coming up with good ideas, really finding out with, with clients what they need, come back to them with something really customized, nothing off the rack. Um, but in terms of kind of high effort and high intensity um, outreach efforts, I think that's really something I, I learned quickly, exactly like you said. Just one call or one email or one walk-in will not do it. I actually write in the book, there's a chapter, um, it's called Heavy Metal Sales. And for me, that's the part of the the process. I'm not sure if you follow uh, European soccer, but there is a coach for Liverpool and he coined this term heavy metal soccer. And and that by that he means it's high intensity, it's it's pressure, it's aggressive, um, it's in your face. And there is a time in the sales process, which for me is very customer centric overall, but there is that moment during that outreach phase where you have to go all in and you have to have all those touch points and the touch points have to come from different um, angles in different areas, email, LinkedIn, social, uh, walk-ins, even even snail mail if if necessary. Uh, So you've got to approach them in a very short period of time um, in many different ways. And that's how you stand out. And like you said, you can't just give up if, the, if you walk in the first time around and, and maybe one person tells you they're not interested, you, you, you've got to go back. What's interesting, since you mentioned New York and it, it being really hard here, there's a, a different way to look at it too, from a more like, this is more like a mental and, and, and attitude uh, thing maybe. I actually really always felt and, and told myself that the opportunity in New York is bigger that people that are in New York, that are living in New York, working in New York, you know, accepting all the bullshit that comes with it, if you live here, right? The, the, uh, the, the traffic jams and the crowded subways. So there's a certain personality that lives here. That personality also is one that's more of a risk taker. They are more open in my experience to look at new solutions, to new concepts, to new ideas um, than I've ever experienced in any other uh, area or, or country, especially Austria is a very conservative country. Like they're very skeptical, very negative. Um, don't want to take risks. New York is the exact opposite. I always feel like people are looking for the next big idea and are, and are open to take risks and opening their wallets to actually make an investment and see if, if it pays off. No, it's very true. When we were working with these advertising reps in restaurants, you know, one of the things we had to help them understand is that, and I think you said this, is that for me, like, Prospecting is blue collar. You are, it is, it is, I love, I love the term heavy metal. You got to be all in, in their face. 
you got to show up and you got to you got to let them know that you care enough that you're not going to give up. Like my idea is so big. I'm going to be able to show you something that's so different. You got to pay attention to me and you got to be a force to be reckoned with. And that's something that you can learn and take with you and wherever you are in the country. And I'm in the South. OK, so we don't have to like be a complete bull in the China shop, but you got to be persistent because persistence always finds a way to win. That's the truth. And it's a competitive edge in today's marketplace where there's so much coming at them, especially when you're selling radio advertising. And you're exactly right. Unlike digital advertising, where you can get some metrics and show someone, hey, they clicked on this and this happened. You're selling an idea. You're selling emotion. And the, the thing that we had to work with these advertising reps on was teaching them that you had to be able to, to very quickly shift from I'm in your face, you got to meet with me to I got the meeting and now I've got to go focus on emotion and I got to focus on on listening and paying attention to them and, and finding out what's important to them. And it was hmm. teaching them how to have these conversations. For example, I was working with one rep and he was he was just failing, like he was getting in the door and he would get told no and he would go away. And and so I just said, listen, let's just walk in a couple of restaurants and I want you to start being a human being. So he walks in and we walk into this one restaurant and the restaurant manager walks out and it was a New York kind of thing. Like, what do you want? And he says, where'd you get those light fixtures? Because they had these really cool light fixtures hanging over the tables. And the guy lights up and says, oh, I mean, he tells his whole story, blah, 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 blah. And all the rep does is listen. And then the guy goes, so what do you do? And it ended up being a conversation. The guy ended up buying. And, and what I was trying to teach the rep is, listen, prospecting is asking for time. And when you're asking for time, you got to be persistent. Like you said, you got to use every tool, every channel. If it's smoke signals, carrier pigeons, it doesn't make a difference what it is. You got to get in. And then yeah. you got to then you got to have a human to human conversation where you're listening to a person and then you're building. And I love what you said. I call them value bridges, but you, you're building a bridge from what's important to them to a way that you can do something different. And that's, that's going to be both emotional, how they feel about it, and it's going to be business outcomes. What, what can you do with it? And I think reps sometimes struggle with that. I think they struggle with when I'm prospecting, like I have to be one personality. And then when I'm selling, I have to be a different personality. And they struggle to make that, 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 uh, that shift. And and I, I, I think that rainmakers don't. I think rainmakers get it. Like once you give me time, I'm, I'm now I'm going to be a consultative salesperson. And I'm just curious, like in the book, how do you, how do you address that, or is, or am I on the right track with this? I, I think absolutely. I think the other two things I wanted to mention that I really learned quickly in New York, um, which absolutely, in my opinion, apply in all situations in all areas, probably too, is number one. Uh, focusing on a vertical, focusing on a category, really becoming an expert, like for us as a team here, we are structured really by vertical. We have people that are focused on automotive dealers, we have people that focus on medical centers, we have people that focus on sports gaming and, and, and all the other verticals, right? The deeper you can penetrate a category, the more successful you will be. And, and in my opinion, that discussion I can have for, for days and, and I will never change my mind because I've seen it work. Um, you know the insights, you know what works, uh, especially on the marketing side and the advertising side. You know the metrics, you know success stories. Um, you, uh, you are the resource that someone really needs. And that's really what you just mentioned with consultative sales. Um, you're, you're not talking about spots and dots at that point. You're, you're talking about business results and, and, and what's actually driving uh, success for a client. Um, so that was number one. Number two, and, and this is really a big uh, part that I'm trying to really uh, get my my managers to embrace is to create routines. 
and uh, to create routines, to, to manage your calendar, to block out time, um, to do the same things at the same time and really almost like it, like you work out. Um, you know, the, the more you can do this, the easier it will get. We, we Nobody likes cold calling, let's be honest. I never liked it. I did it, but I was able to do it because I just had it in my calendar and I knew, you know, I, right now it's cold call time and that's how I'm starting off my day. I didn't even have to think about it. Similar to how you not think about it if you work out every day. If you work out once a week, completely different story. You're like procrastinating. It's like, oh my God, I have to, I have to work out. Um, so I think creating routines is a, is a, is a massive part of, of, of sales success and, and certainly of our team. So, so much time. So, uh, this, is, this may be a three-hour interview, Bernie. Um, oh, my God, the beautiful stuff. Okay, first of all, let's, let's talk about routine. So, you know, not too long ago, I was in New York City. I was uh, in uh, T-Mobile's building there with uh, their, one of our clients doing some training for a group of their sales leaders. And I asked this question. I said, you know, tell me the, the person in your office. I had people all over the Northeast. Tell me the people in your office that are crushing it. And so they would explain this person, and I would say, does this person like come in the same time every morning? They went, I said, do they drink out of the same coffee cup? They went, yep. I said, do they wear the same tie when they're closing the deal? This is T-Mobile, of course, nobody has a tie on, but the same shirt, the same suit, the same thing. Yeah. Do they do the exact same thing every single day, almost like it's robotic? They went, yep. I said, you've just described the salesperson that I can find in every business, no matter where I am on any continent on the globe, that is the top salesperson in the office. They all have a routine. And they work that routine every day, every day, every day, every day. And and this is this for me is what is so interesting about selling because when we look at the character of a salesperson, like we see on a movie or a TV, you know, it's this glad handing, you know, this uh, uh, you know uh, gregarious, charismatic person who's in sales. But when we look at the street and we look at the salespeople who crush on the street, they've got routines. They run those routines. They run it like a science. They run the sales process. And and even getting into the verticals, you know, as they as they get into a vertical, in a lot of cases, they they'll, you know, they'll, a vertical will stumble on them. Like in your world, because of advertising, you're dialing people into those specific verticals. But if you work for a smaller company, talking to a CEO just yesterday who was trying to figure out what vertical they needed to be in. And I'm like, okay, well, well you get an anchor account in that vertical and then you go deep because you got to, they know it, they learn it. Uh -huh. They're experts at it. If you ask them about it, they can talk to you about that vertical forever because they get it and they understand it. And I, and that's part of the routine. And I, I love what you said about verticals because like, I, it's a great example for us in, in the pandemic, Sports. We were talking earlier. Uh, we love the New York Mets. They're they're one of our great clients. But there wasn't anybody going to a baseball game, so there was nobody to teach, and right. we had to make some changes. And what we what we noticed early on is that the PPP money that was coming out was going into these small regional banks, and these small regional banks were starting to have to go out and deal with clients. And there was a great opportunity for them to convert these businesses who weren't currently you know doing business with them into loans and into deposits. So we started calling into that particular vertical, and we got a couple of of, of regional banks that started doing business with us and training their people. And then we got deep in it, and all of a sudden we started to expand. And one of our very favorite clients, and they're up in your area, Investors Bank, they're fantastic. And if you're a business and you're listening to this, you go talk to those guys because they're amazing. They've been one of our true success stories because we 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 looked for a vertical where we could win, and then we got deep and we learned that vertical. And 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 I would say, I guess my question for you is, 
if you're a salesperson and you don't know where you should be focusing because you're not maybe as a dialed in sales organization as you're with, how do you know which vertical you should focus on? Like, how do you figure out those signals? And then what's the process that you uh, advise salespeople to go through to become experts in that vertical? And why is that so important? Yeah, I think the first step is to look at your current client base, client base, customer base, and create that ideal profile. Um, there is uh, the old discussion in, in our industry is do you go to, uh, let's say, a, a lawyer and say, hey, we don't have any lawyers on the air right now. You would be perfect. You will completely stand out uh, on our radio station. Or do you go to a lawyer and say, hey, we have 19 lawyers on the air right now and it's working for them. You should come on. The second uh, or the latter uh, situation is the one that works so much better because if someone knows, hey, this is working for my, my competitors and it's, it's, they feel much more secure in, uh, in future success. And um, whereas on the other side, people are like, well, it's kind of weird that nobody's advertising in my category on that radio station. So this is a little bit too risky for me, right? So if you find that ideal customer profile and really look at, okay, what's working already? And then have those case studies with you as you're approaching, um, oh, and, and success stories, as you're approaching that prospect, you will just will be more successful. So you define, okay, well, where are they located? Um, what's the revenue size of, of those advertisers? Um, and, then, and then you determine which category. I always say, stay close to the manager at that point. The manager will have the best overview, if he's good or she, uh, of what's uh, being called on maybe more than others, what are certain holes in categories that we need more support in. Um, and I think that's a, that's a really good place to start. And, um, and then, and then from, from there, you, um, you, um, you reach out and, and you have the insights, like I mentioned earlier, you have the insights with you, you have um, case studies with you and you have a conversation. It's not about pitching at first. It's about getting the time. Like you said, that you contract for time. That's the hardest thing you ever that you can do in the entire sales process. Um, and then from there, you, prove that you are a worthy resource and then hopefully find something that is um, something something that they are not happy with, an opportunity um, that the status quo maybe is not uh, the perfect scenario for them right now. And then come back with a customized and, and tailored solution and, um, and, 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 and work from there. But that's really how you work a category. Um, when you start in a category, what we always do is we have a, a, a list of resources uh, internally and externally. So if you, if you're in the, let's say, um, alcoholic beverage category that you focused on, there are certain trade newsletters that you should be reading because your clients will be reading it. There are certain terms you should know because your clients are using the same terms. You, sh you should speak the language of that industry. Uh, I think that's really important. And then of course you should talk to your colleagues that are already focused on that in the industry and, and, and see what's working or, or not working for them. Yeah, I think two, two, two takeaways from that. First of all, social proof matters. So social proof is when we use the judgment of the crowd to make decisions faster. So if, you know, and this is really easy. You can do this in New York City, and I've done this with a group of people. You can get like three or four people, and you can just be walking down the street, busy rush hour, and you can stop by a building and look up. And suddenly there'll be a group of people around you all looking up at nothing because they see you looking up, right? That's social yes. proof. And so, yeah. for example, if I sell someone in a particular industry and I was uh, having a conversation yesterday with a group 
and they were getting into alumni associations. And so they had sold an alumni association and the person, the rep asked me, well, where should I go next? And this was in Idaho. And I'm like, okay, well, the next thing you want to call is Boise State. I mean, if you sold one, uh, you know, one alumni association in the state, why wouldn't you go to the next alumni association in that state? Because right. it, they would, it's easier for them to make the decision to do business with you if someone else that's close to them is doing business with you. So I think that's really important. That's hard at first, but once you get an anchor, like if you decide you're going to go after it, and sometimes it just comes to you, like it just shows up on your doorstep and you go, wow, they came to me and they want to do this. There's a reason why they're doing it. Let me find out and let me, let me go look at everyone that's close to them in, right. in their category and go after that. 100%. And that's uh, especially in the market like New York, just think about it. Our radio stations go all the way out to uh, the eastern end of Long Island and all the way down south uh, to the um, you know New Jersey, Philadelphia area. So that's a long time. So as a salesperson, you would be not smart and not very efficient and productive if you sprinkle your clients all over the area. Like, uh, And that's why we highly encourage our guys uh, in, in most categories. Hey, if you're a Long Island guy, Focus on Long Island. You can you can make five sales calls a day because it's just they're 10 minutes away, 15 minutes away, instead of going from Long Island to New Jersey and crossing the driver uh, bridge and spending two and a half hours in the car. Yes, absolutely. Now the the the, the second thing you said was uh, speak their language. Similarity bias. This is really strong for human beings. We trust people who are more like us. It's it's baked deep into our DNA. And the easiest way to be similar to someone is to speak their language. So, for example, if I came to Austria and I practiced my German, which is awful, but if I even tried, people in Austria would lean into me because at least I was trying to speak their language. Mm -hmm. If I only spoke English, and most people in Austria speak English, but if I only spoke English, then I would still be on the outside. And for me, because I'm, I'm international and I travel all over the world, for example, if I'm in Moscow, the first at least four paragraphs of anything that I speak when I'm training in Moscow is in Russian. It's terrible wow. Russian, but it's in Russian. And all of a sudden I've become part of the group. So when I'm working with an industry, I, if I learn the jargon and I'm in having a conversation, by the way, this is part of discovery as well. If I'm working with the individual stakeholder, I need to learn their language. Their language are aspirations. Their language is emotion. Their language is the problems they're having or the pain that they're feeling or something that, that's happening in their organization. I need to speak that language, but learning the organization's language is so important. And it, it surprises me. For example, you said we have all these resources. How many salespeople don't just subscribe to the local blogs? Like, for example, I'm big in the transportation industry. I get transport topics. I read it every day, every day. The first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is read the Wall Street Journal, and I'm looking for things that are, you know, that, that are important for my clients. But reading transport topics helps me connect the dots for things. So I'm having informed conversations. And I'm and I'm I'm gonna bang on this a little bit harder because I love this idea of speaking the language. It's so important that you can walk in, speak the jargon, understand what's happening in the industry. Why don't salespeople invest the time to really become experts in the category in which they're selling? Why don't they do that? Yeah, it's mind-boggling to me. I don't have an answer for you, but it's uh, it's uh, despite us get this, despite us focusing on this for the last five, fifteen years. I'm still having conversations with salespeople that simply can't get themselves to focus on categories. And I just think the opportunities are everywhere. Um, and, and the reality is they will be much more successful doing it. I think it does have to do also with, um, that's where the manager comes in. So what, what we are trying to really instill to our management team is that the beginning of the sales process is where most things go wrong. And if 
if you can't get your account executives or, or sales team to go after the right prospects and you as a manager don't spend the time with them helping them find the right prospects and helping them identify uh, a category that makes the most sense or vertical that makes the most sense for them, you're making a massive mistake. If you as a manager not helping them coming up with a relevant business reason that gets you in the door again on the front end of the sale, you're making a massive mistake. Some managers, unfortunately, are so focused on the sale, the close, the proposal meeting, the pitch meeting, whatever you want to call it, and don't realize that what they're really needed is at the beginning of the sales process. And, uh, and if you tackle it at that point, I think you can get your team really, really focused on the vertical because you are the one who's actually coaching them on, on, their, uh, on their prospect list, on their, on their lead list. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think for individual salespeople, the message is you need to be an expert. You have to be. You want to sell more. You got to be able to walk in and be a consultant to that person. You got to be able to show them the things that you know about their industry and how you can you can you can do things for them, especially when it's talking we're talking about radio advertising, they can give them a leg up in their particular marketplace. But as a leader, this is super important. If you think that your salespeople are gonna build better lists and they're gonna be prospecting in the right place, that they're gonna always have the right strategy, you're smoking crack because they're not gonna do that. And I'm talking to all the salespeople that are listening. Salespeople are myopic. It's the salesperson's job to myopically focus on closing the deal. It is the leader's job to make sure that they're pointing the salespeople in the right place, positioning to them to win. No different than, say, a basketball coach is sitting on the, you know, the, the court side and they're yelling at the players, I need you here, I need you here, I need you here. When they sit down, they, they pull out the board and they, they mark the board up. As a leader, you got to be doing the same thing. You've got to look at the major trends that are happening in the marketplace. You've got to be just as informed about the, the different categories that you're selling in as your, as your salespeople. And you got to be feeding your salespeople with the articles that you want them to read and making that part of your sales meeting and doing things to educate them. But more importantly, and I love that you said this, Bernie, you've got to be pointing them in the right place. You've got to be helping them build lists. That doesn't mean you need to build every list. You need to micromanage everything. But if you don't do that as a leader, your salespeople are going to end up, like you said, driving from Long Island all the way into, you know, and in, into to New Jersey when they should be focusing on the deal next door, because that's what salespeople do. And that's the reason why we have good sales leaders. And, and Jeff, think about April or March 2020 last year when everything was uh, was going downhill except that it wasn't everything. There was in the advertising industry, it's very cyclical business, obviously, right? Many, many people, many companies stopped advertising, but yet the smart manager was guiding their sales team into categories that were taking off online education, faith-based websites, things that we've never even thought about at that, at that point calling on, but the smart sales teams, sales forces did it. And then you look back and it's like, you know what, at the end of the day, the most talented and best salespeople pre-pandemic were also the most, <laughs> most successful salespeople in the pandemic and actually um, made lemonade out of lemons. It's the truth, isn't it? You know, so when we were when, at the beginning of the pandemic, we had, you know, sales leaders coming to us and going, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And about two months in, they were calling us and saying, oh, my God, we've got salespeople that are just killing it. And and we got other salespeople that aren't killing it. And the first question we asked them is, are the salespeople that killing it? Are they the same ones that were killing it before the pandemic? And they go, yep. And I go, guess what? They didn't change what they were doing. I mean, they shifted a little bit. It's like mm -hmm. us. We shifted out of professional sports into banking. But it made sense because banks had money and professional sports didn't have money. I mean, it was just a really simple thing. But 
but the best salespeople were still doing the best, the things that best salespeople do. They were still running their routine. They were still um, focusing on a category. They were still learning. They were innovating. They were agile. They were flexible. And they had the right mindset and belief about themselves. And they were confident that in any market, they can win. You know, in the book I write about, um, I mean, you, you're roughly my age, I guess. Uh, you remember John McEnroe and uh, and Ivan Lendl, the yep. tennis players in, in the 80s, right? So you have John McEnroe on the one and a genius, tennis genius, great feel for the ball, improvising every single point. Every point was constructed in a different way, right? People loved watching him. He was a natural-born tennis player. His nemesis, Ivan Lendl, was the exact opposite. He was the process guy. He broke every single point down into mini steps. Knew that if I do every single step right within a point, I'm going to win my match at the end of the day. And that's what really the successful salespeople yes. are doing. They are following Ivan Lendl. There are very few, very few natural-born salespeople out there. Our, our CEO, I heard CEO Bob Pittman, um, who wrote the foreword for the book, by the way, is one of them. Like he doesn't, he doesn't have to follow the sales process that the sales team follows, but that's because he's the founder of MTV. He has this aura, he has this experience that people will just listen to him. It's different. He's a natural born, but there are very few people that I've run into in my career um, that can say that. And you know what? Um, when I when I interview college grads sometimes or college students and and, and they're interviewing with us, and I usually ask, why do you want to be in sales? And, and, and then they answer, um, well, you know, I'm, I'm really social, I'm really outgoing. And we know that has nothing to do with sales success at all. Um, so, you know, absolutely sales, sales following a sales process and, and making sure that you're doing every single step right in the process. That's what maximizes your chances to actually close the deal. It doesn't guarantee it, of course. There's never a guarantee in sales, but it maximizes your chances to, to be successful. You know, I remember this one year when I was the number one sales rep in my company and they sent me a catalog of stuff to choose from as my President's Club reward. Honestly, it felt like a slap in the face. Demotivating doesn't begin to describe how disappointed I felt. And my company made a big mistake that year because I eventually left because I felt so disrespected. And this is exactly why forward-thinking leaders, companies, and sales organizations trust Blueboard for their sales and presence club incentives. They know that motivating and retaining their top salespeople is a competitive edge. So instead of lame gifts, cash spiffs, and flying 100 people to the Bahamas, with Blueboard, your winning reps get to choose their own bucket list trip, something that is truly meaningful to them beyond any dollar amount, a trip they will never forget. And trust me on this, because I know from experience, when their reward means something to them, when it's special, they'll be twice as motivated to win again. From hitting the slopes in Colorado, swimming with whale sharks in Cabo, or chasing the Northern Lights, there's truly something for everyone. So if you're ready to raise your President's Club to the next level, go check out Blueboard. You can get a free demo and a free sales incentive planning guide by going to podcast.blueboard.com. That's podcast.blueboard.com. Now back to my conversation with Bernie Weiss. It's like when I'm in an interview and someone says, I'm a people person, I'm usually running the other way because the people people are the people that are typically not closing the deal. They're, they're, they're too busy building relationships to advance. And that doesn't mean the relationships aren't important. They're incredibly important. The ability to connect with another human being emotionally. But the great salespeople, they also understand that there's a system 
and the system is both moving them toward or advancing them toward the deal so that they're going to close. But at the same time, the system is also giving them signals about the people that are not going to buy from them so they can move on to the next thing. And you'll notice your very best salespeople, they're very quick to walk away from something that they don't think has got a higher probability of close. But the people people, they're hanging on to the bitter end. Like they've built such a friendship with this person that they don't realize that they're going to lunch, they're showing up, they're just checking in, and they're, they're not paying attention to those signals. And I'm, and that's, I'm not throwing people people under the bus, but there's, there's this thing about great salespeople that they've got a routine, they've got a process, and they've got awareness about the deals that they're in. And they're very quick to walk away from things that won't close. And maybe talk a little bit about that with your own salespeople, the folks that you see that just have that, that, and it's not, it's not for me, it's not an innate thing. I have a system, I'm testing engagement all the time. So for me, I'm always asking for these little micro commitments. And as long as the person is committing and making progress and we're moving forward, I'm good. Even if it's going slow. But the moment that I start seeing that people are missing those commitments or they're hesitating or they're pulling back a little bit, I'm and I'm poking at the at the soft spots to see what's going to happen. Right. And I start putting those those signals together. Some of that's experience. I've been doing this long enough that I can tell. And sometimes I walk away from deals that I probably could have closed. But but I see those things and I'm out. And I and I, I wonder if that's if that's true for your, your salespeople, that they have these systems that tell them this. hundred percent. Hundred percent, and um, and that's probably what also separates maybe the sales rookie from um, the more experienced, successful sales superstar and, and and sales ace. It takes a little bit to understand those little mini steps to actually pick up on those um, little things that you hear throughout the process, and and to get those mini yeses across the entire sales process that eventually lead to a sale. Um, so so yeah, absolutely, I I, I agree with that. Um, you know, the one thing I, I, I want to mention, maybe to, to switch um, topic a little bit, because I know you're the master of, of cold calling and, and, and really the, that type of the uh, part of the, the sales process, too, is um, we are struggling right now, not just iHeart as an industry, um, that people are not looking at cold calling the way they did three years ago, five years ago. And we got I'm a full believer that we got to get back to where we were. We got to be way more. Um, uh, and we've got to embrace cold calling much more than, than we are doing right now uh, as an industry. I, um, I, I always use the story of this. So I'm a big um, rock fan. Um, and there's this guy, Morrissey. I'm not sure if you know him. A big artist from the 80s, right? Um, big fan. His first name is Stephen. So Stephen Morrissey. So there happens to be a salesperson at some vendor who's trying to get in touch with me and has been for the past half year. He sends me an email three times a week it pops up as Stephen Morrissey and every time I'm like I, I see his name I'm like oh wow Stephen Morrissey is emailing me right I never responded if the guy would pick up the phone and call me and by the way I would pick up and he would just say I'm Stephen Morrissey he would have me at that point I would make some type of joke I would have something to say and we would be in the conversation he just is not, hopefully he's not listening to this podcast, uh, but if he is, pick up the phone and call. If he would have called me, he might be doing business with me right now. I mean, I, I don't, like, I think what I'm seeing also is my predecessor in my role had uh, um, two assistants. I don't have an assistant right now. My, my number is public. My office number is public. I'm, but yet the phone is not ringing, but I'm getting 20, probably on average, 20 to 25 um, 
seed emails per day from different vendors, different industries, but nobody's calling. I'm in the same boat. So my phone number is everywhere. Like it is not hard to find me and nobody ever calls. I got one this week. I had a, uh, um, a sales rep from England who called first and left a voicemail and then sent an email and she got a response. And she got a response because uh, I saw that she called. She did leave me a voicemail. And I, at that point, I'm like, okay, this person's for real. And they're willing to, to, to work at it. And I responded to her and we set up a meeting. But nobody else calls me. I'm like you. I get 20, 30 emails a day, and I just don't respond to email. If you if you just send me an email, I just figure you're just you're just as we might say emailing it in, right? You're not even you're not even working at it. But I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples of why this is important. So we talk about cold calling, and I think part of it is people don't get what a cold call is. Emailing someone who's not expecting your email is a cold call. It's just a crappy cold call because you're not really working hard at it. You probably got a machine doing it. Coming to my LinkedIn profile and and interrupting me on my LinkedIn profile and saying, I want to meet with you, that's a cold call. Sending me a, a snail mail is a cold call. It's cold because I'm not expecting you. It's cold because it's not that it's not that I had an appointment with you. And don't forget about whole warming things up or anything like that. There's no warm up a cold call. You're interrupting someone's day. That's what it is. So if you're going to interrupt someone's day, the easiest, fastest way to get another human being to have a conversation with you is either walk in their front door or pick up the phone. And you're much more likely, like in your building, it's probably hard for someone to walk in your door and get you because there's a security guard who shoots salespeople. So the easiest, fastest way to get you is to pick up the phone and have a conversation. And I'm the same way. If I'm available and my phone rings, I pick it up. That's just how it works. And if I'm not and you leave me a voicemail, I'm going to take a look at your voicemail. And if your voicemail was good and you follow up with an email, I'm probably going to respond to you in some form or fashion because at least I know that you're trying. Like you're at least exactly. giving it something. And especially the time where voicemails are usually being forwarded to your email inbox now. Exactly. So you, you, it's, it's actually easier, in my opinion, as it was five years ago, 10 years ago. It's easier to find phone numbers with all the tools that are out there. Um, we just need to embrace it more as a, certainly our team, I think our industry and probably all of sales needs to embrace it more again. Well, people say, you know, nobody's picked up the phone and I go, look, well, nobody picks up a phone that doesn't ring. You need to pick it up and call it. So the phone is, I want to, I want to say this since we're on this podcast, the phone is the best tool. It is your most important tool in your sales toolbox, period, end of story, has been, will be, still is, will always be, because it's the easiest, fastest way to have a conversation with people. I'll tell you two quick stories. Story number one is Richard. Richard is a uh, rep in the, in the UK. Richard left me 71 voicemails, 71 voicemails, before one day he... He called, I picked the phone up and I could hear his, I heard his voice. Like I, I recognized him. I'm like, all right, inside, I wanted to give him an objection and, and brush him off. Cause I don't like salespeople either. You know how it is. Like, I don't want to talk to salespeople. You want to talk to salespeople, but I'm like, I owe this guy. He called me so many times and I made the biggest software purchase of my company's history. And it's a piece of software, by the way, that doubled the size of my company in a year. And if it hadn't have been for his persistence and his caring, we wouldn't have bought it. And if he hadn't called me, I would have never bought it. Right. Ariana. Ariana is a T-Mobile rep. And this past January, she calls me and I, I brush her off. Then she sends me a video message and it was interesting and I brush her off. 
Then she sends me a box of swag, and and what in the swag was this little clapper thing. And if you ever seen those things, like in taking the baseball games, and it made a really loud noise. And so I was walking around our office clapping the thing. And my wife's our CFO, so I would walk into her office and clap it really loud, and it would make her mad, and she'd get mad and throw me out. But I was reminding me of T-Mobile every moment. I still brushed her off. She called me again, had a conversation with her, brushed her off again. She sent me some more snail mail. She sent me another video message. She sent me a couple of emails. She called me again, and today. All of my digital lines, all of my phones, you know, and I've got 30 people on my team, not as many as you, but I got a bunch of folks that are all carrying around T-Mobile devices. Why? Because she called and she called and she called and she called. And we it wasn't that we were unhappy with where we were because we were happy as a lark. I mean, we were fine. It was that she got in front of us and she started having conversations. And once she got the time, what she was able to do, Bernie, is exactly what you said. She was able to say, I've got some innovative ways. It was not about money. It was about, here are some things that we could do that would make this this easier for you. And suddenly she's got our business. She picked up the phone. Here, here's a good story on, on, on our ends. We have a girl on our team who tried to get in with HSBC Bank. Now, obviously, a huge bank, right? You can't just walk into HSBC Bank, especially not to the uh, to the chief marketing officer. Uh, so you got to you got to fight your way in. Tried everything from email, made cold calls, couldn't get through, couldn't get in touch. Um, her research shows that that person, uh, it was a female, is an avid rock climber. Like somehow she saw like a picture posted that she was uh, rock climbing. So what did our uh, account executive uh, do? She bought a rock climbing rope, sent it to the chief marketing officer with a little note saying, would love to hook up and discuss how we can help you. And after four months of trying all different ways, within a day, got the phone call. Yeah. She, she, she stood out from everyone else. Yes. So you got, you got, you got to just think out of the box sometimes. Uh, and there's many different ways how to do that. So I think if we if we were to nail this down, Bernie, people aren't afraid of the cold call. They're afraid of the call. They're afraid of talking with other human beings. We've we've moved into a world where we've got these tools. Now, I want to make sure we're clear on this. Salespeople have always been this way. When when I was growing up, carrying a briefcase in the 90s, the salespeople that failed were the ones that weren't prospecting. It was just that simple. But we didn't have all of these tools that, that we had today. You just failed really quickly back then. Today, what we do is we keep people at arm's length because we're afraid of having conversations with people, and we make these excuses that people don't answer the phone. Now, my organization worked with every branch of the U.S. military. We work with their recruiters, and it is not uncommon for us to be in a room with, say, 90 recruiters in a battalion, and we'll stand in front of the room, and I'll do this, and I'm usually standing next to a command sergeant major who's 10 feet tall and can make them do stuff, but I'll say, all right, you've got 15 minutes to make $15 and set one appointment, go. And they'll look at me and go, we don't make calls. We, we do this on Facebook because teenagers don't answer the phone. I'm like, you got 15 minutes, 15 dials, one appointment, go. So they'll reluctantly pick up the phone and they start calling. And then they come back and everybody's set an appointment. Some people have set two appointments. And they're flabbergasted that teenagers pick up the phone. And what I explain to them is everybody's got one of these in their pocket. They're carrying it around with them all day long. You have the phone number that they're carrying around because they put it into a form that they put into your website that says, I want to join the military. And you're sending them an email on Facebook warming them up. And all you had to do is call them and set an appointment. And it's, a, it's teaching them the lesson. And it's a really basic lesson. And that is this. In sales, the more people you talk with, the more you're going to sell. And the optimum word there is talk with. And you cannot talk with somebody on email. 
You can only talk with someone in person or on the phone or on a video call. Those are the only ways that you're going to have that conversation. You know, in, in, in media sales, we've always had a very young sales force. That's, that's just a in, very industry-specific thing. Even right now on our team, many people in their 20s, early 30s. And what's interesting, and I happen to believe that that generation is going to be um, the best sales person ever. They're technically savvy. They have huge empathy. Mm -hmm. um, I think the stereotype that they are not working hard is completely wrong as long as they see like a bigger mission and a bigger goal. Um, but the interesting part is exactly what you just said. I had a, a training uh, last week with some of our interns, 20, 21 year olds. And we talked about cold calling and I had to make some, some calls and stuff. And there was a, a 21 year old, I think she's a senior uh, in college right now. And she literally said, you know, Bernie, I haven't made a phone call in a year. Not, not a cold call, a, a phone call. Like there is a generation coming up that simply has not used the phone as a, as a, as a calling, as, as a communications mechanism, right? And our job is going to be to instill into them to learn how to use the phone because it's still going to be the most, like you said, the most effective um, a way to get in the door and, and, and get the time with a decision maker, even in the future. Yeah, it just works. And, it's, and even if you're leaving a voicemail, they hear your voice. And if they don't hear your voice, they read it on their phone. So we teach people a simple framework for, you know, how do you leave a voicemail message? And part of that framework is leave your phone number twice at the beginning. Why? Because when the phone, when your voicemail gets translated into an email or, and there's a transcript there, your phone number is at the top and it's in a link and all you got to do is click it to call it and right. it makes things work. But it's the phone just works. It is a, it is a powerful tool and people have forgotten it. Um, so let's uh, let's I want to shift to a couple of, of things. One of those is back to your story. You left Austria running a big media group and you you took a, a basically a step backward in order to go forward. So I, I just want to I want to talk to you more as a as a as a human being and talking to a group of people who in a lot of cases I see people who say I want to go here but in order to get here I got to go over here and I don't want to do that. Like my ego takes a hit or I feel like it's a step backward and I feel like they sometimes miss the opportunity. And early in my career, I had, I had the same thing happen to me. I went from running, I was working for Nutrisystem and I was an area manager at 23 years old. So I was way over my head, but I managed a big group and I wanted to work for a bigger company. The only way that I was going to level up to that bigger company was I was going to have to go start an entry level. And it was a tough thing to do, but it made all the difference in the world. I mean, it got me where I am today. And I want to talk a little bit about that just from a success standpoint and getting your experience and your advice with that and what you went through in order to make that decision. I know this is a big, broad question, but I think it's important uh, that people see what you are, the, the price that you are willing to pay in order to get the goal that you wanted. Yeah, a couple of points of that, and it's a, it's a great question. I, um, I remember if I said earlier, my first job I was going after in the US was a general manager position. I can guarantee you, if I would have gotten one, if I would have gotten that position, I would have gotten fired within six months and I certainly would not be where I am right now. So uh, I think to take that step back, what I always say is focus on the job at hand. It doesn't matter which level you're at necessarily. If you do a good job in the job that you're in right now, people will notice opportunities will arise um, and, and you can go from there. And um, I actually love working with people that are willing to take a step back. 
because it just shows me that they have a long-term vision, that they have a long-term plan, um, that they are aspiring to, to do something, even if it's not next year or two years from now, uh, maybe five, year, five years from now, 10 years. I love working with people like that. I love working with people that have failed, similar to like what you just said. Like It took me a long time to admit that I was way uh, in over my head in that uh, big role that I had in Austria when I was 27, 28 years old. I should have not been in this job. And at the end of the day, I didn't get fired, but I, in my opinion, failed. Took me a long time to admit that. Now I'm talking openly about it because I actually feel that failure is probably the best things that can happen to you, especially early in your career. Um, if you take the learnings and if you if you take a step back and say, okay, well, this is um, this is what happened and this is why I failed and this is what I need to learn and do better going forward. Um, it's, it's one of my, my interview questions, uh, almost like in every single interview I'm, I'm doing with salespeople. Tell me about a time in your life when you, when you actually failed and what you learned from it. Um, so absolutely, there is, um, there's a lot of good things that can come from that. So along those same lines, um, you, when you look at your career, and you look at the progression and I mean, you're in a big job with a big company and you know, it's a, uh, you know, for me, it was like, a, it was like, I look at your, I look at your title and look at what you do and go, man, this is like, you're a big, you're a big deal in New York city, what you run, everything that you, that you do there. But if you look at your resume, your resume is all sales. I mean, you're, you, you, you got to that role through, through being a rainmaker. And there was an article in the wall street journal that came out yesterday that talked about how there are lots of sales jobs open and that you can make a whole lot of money in sales, but a lot of young people don't want to go into sales because they see it as something that is disgusting or bad, or they want to be a cheesy salesperson. It's all the, the things that we see in the movies and TV. Let's talk about sales as a career and how you can leverage sales to move up in an organization and achieve your ultimate goals uh, and, and, and how that works and why that's important that people get that. Uh, and, and I, and I guess one more question I'm going to add on that. I, these are big questions. I'm not a good Oprah. Um, uh, but, um, uh, but on top of that, why is that so important for you now as the president of a, you know, a big part of iHeart media's, um, you know, portfolio, how is having a sales background, how does that make you a better leader overall? So if we can start at, making it rain, why is a sales role important? And then how does it make you a better leader knowing how to sell? Look, at the end of the day, um, we pretty much have two, um, two customers as a, as a media, like any media company. We have the listener, that's our customer. You have to put a great product uh, on the air in order to get listeners. But then the second is of course the advertisers. And really what we're doing is rent out those um, listener relationships that we are building, those deeply engaged relationships that we have with the audience to third party, unaffiliated third parties, the advertiser, right? That's pretty much our business model. And um, as, a, as, as kind of a, in, a, in a general management role, of course, that means that the revenue for our organization is coming from the advertiser. We don't have subscription. Uh, it's all coming from advertising dollars. That means that for me, that's priority number one. Uh, and that's why I said earlier, 60% of my time, and it might actually be more, might be 60, 70% of my time uh, in some weeks is spent with clients, working um, with the sales management team, uh, being out on calls, giving presentations at associations and, 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 and uh, different organizations, um, more from a sales marketing perspective, obviously that, that plays a role. Um, so so that's that's important. The interesting part is I think if you would ask our CEO, Bob Pittman, 
how much time he spends on that part of the business, sales, he would probably give you the same answer. He would probably say, you know, 67% of my time is spent talking to our biggest clients, to uh, CEOs uh, of really, really large companies. And, um, and when you look at really most media companies these days, I would say the vast majority is coming up the sales route. And, uh, and that is a little bit different from maybe 15, 20 years ago when many um, general managers came up the programming route. So we were on the other side of, of, of the business on the, on the listener in our case uh, side. I think it has changed a little bit. So and I think that's important for people to get because I'm seeing the same thing in other industries as well. I'm seeing, you know, some of the greatest leaders that I work with, people who are running, you know, Fortune 200 companies, they're coming up through the sales ranks. They they had a role in sales. And I, I've, I was talking to a leader a couple of weeks ago who was trying to figure out where they wanted to go in their career. And the step back was to go into a sales role before getting promoted into a, a leadership role or go, you know, stay in the operational track, operational track and keep going up operations. And my advice was go to sales and their ego was getting in the way. But I'm like, if you go into sales, you're going to be so well-rounded because as you get, you know, higher and higher up the organization and you're responsible for P&Ls, you're going to recognize that on your P&L, sales fixes everything. So if you're bringing revenue in, you can do anything with the bottom line. But if you don't have sales coming in, you got a problem. And if you don't understand it, if you don't know it, you also are going to be working with a bunch of salespeople that know how to snow you. And, you know, and you don't want that happening either. You want to be able to go get out and get in the trenches with them and close deals. That's definitely one of the, one of the advantages that I have right now. Like, on our sales team, nobody can tell me something that is just not true. Nobody can bullshit me. I've been there. I've done the job. Uh, so I, I, I know what's going on. I, I think that's definitely an advantage when you're in, a, in the general management role and you came on, came from the sales side, for sure. So let's, let's move you. I want to move you into industry, and let's talk specifically about advertising for a moment and selling advertising. Mm -hmm. You've been doing this for a long time. Like you said, we're, still, we're in, the, in the same uh, age group. We're talking about you know, Morrissey, so that really, really ages us. Uh, what, what has changed, in your view, in terms of what it takes to be good at advertising sales in particular? And what are the trends that are going to that uh, that the advertising sales professionals need to be paying attention to? So, what does tomorrow look like in terms of being successful and engaging clients and closing deals? Now, this Jeff was really the broadest question of all the questions he was asking. You've asked me, so, so I will try my best to answer it because there is there is many things and, and many trends. Obviously, I think um, one trend we definitely are seeing is. Um, there is a part of our business that is being completely commoditized. And we have to accept that this is where probably in a couple of years from now, computers will be talking to computers and there is no live salesperson involved with a deal. It's pretty much algorithms determining um, how much a certain media impression is being sold at and, and which uh, you know, the target uh, group will be selected for that particular buy. Uh, that's certainly one trend, which for me as a sales guy is an opportunity because the opportunity is if you know how to create opportunities and create campaigns for a client, uh, you will have massive opportunity going forward in, from, a, from a career perspective. And, um, and that's certainly one of, one of the things we, we see. I think the, uh, the other thing on the advertising side is 
the salesperson, again, the one that makes those opportunities happen, is really more of a conductor of an orchestra now. Like it has become, it used to be spots and dots, and it was very simple. All we had to figure out is like, where do you want to run your commercials, morning drive, PM drive, uh, and what do you want it to sound like, and how long should it be? That was it. Now we have, we are a multi-platform company. We, we have live events. We have podcasting, largest podcasting publisher in, in the country, um, digital, social, with all the, the DJs and on-air personalities and their social following, over 250 million followers, um, the broadcast side of the business, then the analytics portion to prove to advertisers that their marketing campaign actually works. So it's a lot for a salesperson to know. And the reality is it's impossible to know everything. What is possible is to conduct the orchestra of specialists, that you bring in the guy who is the specialist on data, that you bring in the guy who is the specialist on top 40 music or, and, or, or a creative messaging on the air. So they're specialists for a lot of things within iHeart. And the job for the salesperson is, as part of the sales process, to bring these guys in and to conduct that orchestra. And um, you know, one of the things we learned because of that development during the pandemic, um, so before the pandemic, what we were running into and it, it started to be a problem was there was one person on the client side in the meeting and we would show up with six or seven people from iHeart, like all those different specialists that had something to say about their um, particular area of expertise. And it just created this weird dynamic in this conference room, right? It was like uh, six here and then one person over there. We found that doing a call like that, even if it's taking place in New York and every single person, every single specialist is located in New York, to do that on video is actually much more effective and, and, and much less intimidating for the client. Um, so that's certainly a trend uh, we're looking at. But I think the, that multi-platform um, uh, trend also means that as an account executive, as a salesperson, you just got to be much more well-versed. You just got to know more. Um, you know, radio was famous for Street Fighter of the Year awards. You know, the ones that went door to door selling a canned summer sizzler campaign of 25 spots at a certain discount, right? we would not do that anymore at this point. Like every, everything is customized, everything is developed uh, uh, and tailored to what, what our clients need. And, uh, and that means you've got to know more. And in our industry, it means you've got to know more about marketing. So it's, uh, you know, uh, media has always been, a, media sales has always been a good intersection of sales and, and marketing as well, uh, because that's really at the end of the day what we are selling. So I think it sounds like we, we, the conversation we were having about categories or industry verticals is you, you have to be more of an expert. You have to build trust with your clients. They have to know that you know what you're talking about. And, uh, and I think that's important because I think there's so many options for advertising these days. And I know even as a business owner, sometimes we, don't, we choose to do nothing at all because it's just so confusing. And where are we going to spend our, our budget? And the, the, the salesperson, like you said, is a conductor, they're a guide, they're helping. That doesn't take away the fact that you got to get the meeting in the first place. But once 100%. you get there, right, you gotta, you've got to be able to, to own that. I love what you said about the, 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 uh, the video meetings as well, because we, we found the same thing, is that we're able to bring in more people on our team as specialists into those meetings when we're doing a video. And we don't have to bring everybody in at the same time. We're able to have m multiple meetings, which actually creates a level of familiarity and trust because mm -hmm. we're, we're, we're having you know, more meetings, but we're doing it in less time with less friction and we're closing more business that way. 
Right. I'm definitely still a believer in the in-person meeting, but I think we just have to be smarter about it. Like I mentioned earlier, I'm not going to go I want any one of my, uh, my sales um, people drive two and a half hours to Suffolk County on Long Island for a first meeting with a prospect that has not been fully qualified. That, that's two and a half hours there, maybe a 45-minute meeting, two and a half hours back in the city with the worst traffic in the country. That's almost an entire day. Just think about the time that is lost and the productivity um, that is not being optimized there. Well, this is why the future is about blending. Blending is choosing the communication channel at any given place in the sales process that's going to give you the highest probability of getting your desired sales outcome at the lowest cost of time, energy, and money. And if you start thinking about that as a formula, that is, if you're a PL owner, that's how you're going to drop more to the bottom line while getting more sales on the top line. And if you're a salesperson, that's how you're going to boost your income. Because like you said, in that situation, the best communication channel would be a telephone call or a virtual to, to figure out whether or not it makes sense for us to drive the two and a half hours to have the, the, the meeting. And, and then my next meeting after that might be bringing one of my specialists in via video call with one of their folks on their team to have a conversation so that we're getting aligned on where we're going to go next. And then I might come back with a proposal. So I think that the, I think that the, the beautiful thing is that we've got so many amazing different ways that we can communicate and opportunities that it just makes life so much better. Hey, I've got one more question for you. And this is, this is a question that, that, that's, Gonna, I mean, it may be a little bit tough for you. I don't know, but we'll see. And that is, what question did I not ask you that I should have that you think is important? Ask me about the book, and I think you actually might have asked me, and I didn't, and I, and I didn't answer. And um, and maybe why I wrote it, and why um, um, what the target audience of the book is. I, I would love to talk about that for a, for a quick minute, if I could. Beautiful. All right. The name of the book is Ace It. So let's just start there. Let's start with uh, why that title. So it's called Ace It, How Sales Champions Win New Business. That's really the, um, the entire title. Um, so when, when I started writing it, um, and actually, let me, let me back up a little bit, because I was thinking about this on the subway this morning. Um, so I'm in the music industry, right? And uh, the, the, the perk of working for a radio station, especially in New York, is that many of the big artists do stop by for interviews when they are on the air, right? And we have one of, and I'm a rock guy, as I mentioned earlier, and uh, one of our stations is Q104.3, the, um, the classic rock station here. And, you know, we have people like Lenny Kravitz or Robert Plant or, or uh, uh, Robbie Robertson stop by for interviews. And they come, they sit in the green room, um, and that's where the perk comes in, I, that I'm able to have a little bit of small talk with them. Sometimes not easy. Some are really like shy. Some really don't want to engage much. But, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a sales guy. I know, how to, I know how to have a conversation. One of my go-to questions is always, hey, what are you, uh, which kind of breaks the ice a little bit. What are you listening, like personally, what are you listening to right now? Like what's the music that you're into? What's your favorite artist uh, yourself? And that's what really gets them to talk, right? And what I found over the last really 10 years is the band that most artists are mentioning is Radiohead. Because mm -hmm. it's, it's this uh, massive band, but it's also it's a, it's a very sophisticated band. It's, uh, it's uh, different layers. They are groundbreaking in certain segments, new ideas. It's really a band that many of the other artists are jealous with. I'm looking at you as the Radiohead of sales books. <laughs> and when when and I take that as a compliment. And when I started writing, and I had I'd literally I had already started writing, and I at that point read uh, 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 fanatical prospecting. 
I thought I, there's no way I can write anything like this. This is, it's not, I'm, I'm not a professional writer. I, I'm, I'm not a, I'm coaching sales, but I'm not doing that for a living. But uh, I do want to write a book that is going to be successful. So I said to myself, I'm going to be more like Foo Fighters, uh, like more straightforward, very straightforward, very, very real, talking about um, real life stories that I've experienced um, in the New York, on the streets of New York, in the New York market, in the media industry, in a very competitive industry that has thousands of salespeople on hundreds of sales teams competing with each other. Um, and, and I'm going to do it that way. I'm going to make it really easy to read. I'm going to make it really easy to follow along. I'm going to make it really easy to apply what, what they're learning, stories, analogies, templates, scripts, they can just uh, um, copy and, and paste and, and apply. And, um, and the way I wanted to do that was that I created this fictional prospect. And, and really, as I'm going through the entire sales process, I take that one fictional prospect. And after we cover more the theoretical uh, part of it, really show like, okay, this is how this would look in practice. This is how I qualified the prospect. This is what the uh, cold call could sound like. This is what the uh, email to that um, uh, prospect would sound like, or the voicemail. This is what the first meeting is going to look like. This is what I'm going to bring to the first meeting. This is what the proposal is going to look like. This is how I'm going to get the assignment. This is what I'm going to ask at the end to, to make the deal. And this is how I'm going to launch the campaign. So it, it's going to give those real life examples for that fictional prospect. And um, people that have read the book say, okay, now I'm really understanding it. Now it's all coming together. Um, so with that in mind, my, my target audience was um, sales veterans who maybe have plateaued a little bit right now and are going into a new quarter, or going into a new year and, uh, and think, you know what, I need a, a, boost in the, uh, a boost right now and I'm gonna invest four hours of my time or 25 bucks to pick up certain tips for every single part of the step in the sales process. But it's also about people that are new in sales, uh, college grads that want to find out more um, about how sales actually works. And, uh, and lastly, definitely sales managers who might not have a sales process yet in their company or on their team and want to just say, you know what, here's a new salesperson. I want you to read this and, and let's, let's follow this process as, as much as we can because it's, it's working in one of the toughest industries on the, on the planet. Love it. So I love the fictional prospect, like going through the, the process and giving someone uh, each step of the way. I don't think I've read a, a book that's done that. That's a, that's brilliant. I love that. So did you end up working with Matt Holt because of the rock and roll connection? Is that is that how that, that works? He is the biggest cheap trick fan. And yes, we have cheap <laughs> trick here at the station. So we, we connected on that one. Uh, no, the Matt Holt connection and, and, and Matt Holt, people that might listen and, and don't know, is, is a publisher and used to publish uh, uh, Jeff's book as well at, at Wiley. No, this is the perfect example, which is also covered in the book, of the power of referrals. We had uh, a client who 12 years ago used to work for Wiley and advertised on our radio stations, um, a, a whole series of books at that point. I hadn't spoken to this guy for 12 years and I literally reached out to him and we reconnected and he said, you know what, you should reach out and actually I'm gonna make the introduction to Matt Holt. He just started his new uh, imprint at, uh, at Ben Bella Books and you guys should connect. And this is, this is really how it started. So it was really the, the power of a referral and an introduction. Oh, and that's how we're together because Matt called me and said, hey, talk to Bernie and this is this works. So it's uh, the relationships do matter in the world. I love the, I love the concept of the book. I love the way you walk through that. I, I can't wait to read it. The book will be out when? 
uh, September 7th. But it's already available for pre-order on, on Amazon right now. And I love, I love the pre-order on Amazon because here's the nice thing about this. You're thinking about the book right now. You're listening to this podcast. You're like, I want to read Ace It. And if you go to Amazon and you buy the book, then you can forget about it. And then one day the book shows up in your uh, in a box. I got one this morning. Uh, there was a box waiting on the table when I got in the work this morning. It was a book that I ordered three weeks ago. I forgot all about. And I'm so excited because that's going to be my weekend reading. This is what you do. You go to Amazon and or you go to Barnes & Noble or you go in, or anywhere books are sold and you pre-order Ace It. And the beautiful thing about Amazon is that um, if they drop the price, then they'll give you that back when uh, when they send you the book. So it's it's a win win for everybody. Uh, I love that that book. Um, so so Bernie, uh, tell us if people want to connect with you, like they want to learn more about you uh, and the book. Where should they go to get more information? It's very easy, and as I mentioned earlier, I'm I'm not uh, I don't have a website. I I am a a regular dude who has a job, which is to write a book. Uh, and talks about his experiences. So the easiest way to get in touch with me is bwise at iheartmedia.com. And nobody should be shy emailing to that address. Uh, I will respond to every single uh, person who, who reaches out. So again, bwise, B-W-E-I-S-S at iheartmedia.com. And you're also on LinkedIn because I, 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 of course I was able to tag you on LinkedIn yes. this morning. So make sure you go check out Bernie on on, uh, on LinkedIn. Bernie, thank you so much for spending time with me today. This has been a real pleasure and, this was great. And I love having conversations. Like you said, you're in the trenches. You're doing this every single day. A lot of times I'm having these conversations with people who have been a little bit separated from it. And I think the stories are real. The connection that you have with the street and with your salespeople is real. And there's a lot that people can learn of, about you and from you when they read your new book, Ace It. And, uh, and iHeartRadio, man, what, what a uh, juggernaut uh, this, this organization has become. So uh, maybe one day we'll get my podcast on iHeartRadio. You should. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Th- Bernie, thank you so much. And uh, folks, we'll see you on the next episode of Sales Gravy. Well, I hope that this conversation was as fun for you as it was for me. Meeting someone like Bernie who really gets sales gets me fired up. My entire life has been dedicated to selling and and the sales profession and elevating the sales profession. And you can tell that Bernie totally gets it. And it's one of the reasons why I've pre-ordered his book, Ace It, and I encourage you to do the same thing. Now, don't forget to go check out Blueboard, the incentive platform that helps you give one-of-a-kind and once-in-a-lifetime Presence Club experiences to your top-performing sales reps. When I booked my own reward, a trip to go ziplining in the Appalachians, my concierge Emma made it so easy. I just selected my experience from the menu, and Emma took over and did the rest of the work. And I'll be telling you more about this trip on a future episode. And your winning salespeople will experience the exact same level of five-star service. They'll work with a dedicated Blueboard concierge who is their trusted guide throughout the entire process so that they don't have to lift a finger. This is truly personalized white glove service. Look, it's time for you to start treating your top performers like the rock stars they are with meaningful rewards. So go check out Blueboard today for your next sales incentive program. Go to podcast.blueboard.com. That's podcast.blueboard.com. 